Thank you, Brother Andy. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We'll be starting in verse 30. There's more people here than I thought they were. In other words, I don't know if a few of you slipped in and I didn't see you slip in or what, but it's a little more than I thought. I want to share something with you in a hurry. As you're flipping there, I, I said I was going to share this the other night, and honestly, I got my thoughts got on something else, and I didn't share it. And then I was convicted on the way home for not sharing it. And then I got another message yesterday from this same person, and I want to share this with you. So you can be in prayer with him is what, is what it's all about. Uh, there's, a, there's a church planner. And I just want to brag on God just for a minute. But at the same time, I want you to, to be praying along with this, this uh, family about this situation. But there's a church planner that uh, Connie and I and the girls got to meet. Uh, he's from Alabama. I'm not really sure exactly what part of Alabama he's from. But it's Daryl and Veronica Brunson is who it is. They... Um, moved out to Livingston, Montana. I can't even remember the date now, but it's been seven, maybe five, six years ago, something of that nature. Planted a church in Livingston, Montana, though. And so when we went out a couple of years ago praying over whether God was leading us out there or not, they're kind of the connection we had. We had been in contact with them uh, through emails and letters and phone calls and things of that nature. So we went out and, and visited those guys and saw what they were doing. But, so we've kind of been in prayer for, with them the whole time. But here's what I want to share with you. He turned 50 just the other day. I just want to show you how big God is. Okay? I want to brag on him just for a second. But he turned 50 just the other day. But he, he set the whole month of, uh, or the whole summer, June, July, and August. He set it up to to kind of start this 50 for 50 thing. And he sent out a text message, and I don't really know how many people he sent it out to. I was one of them, but he has several churches back in Alabama, different places like that, that support him and a couple from Texas. And he's actually considered a North American missionary because he went to, him and his family went to the North American Mission Board. But anyway, uh, their, their church is called Expedition Church in Livingston, Montana. You can Google that when you get out of here. Don't do it now. Do it when you get out of here. But uh, some of y'all get caught up Googling and won't pay attention. But anyway, he started this thing. He said, I'm asking people. He said, I'm just, it's a challenge. He said, sin, if, you, if God leads you to do this, I want $50 for every year that I've lived. So it's 50 for 50 is what he did. $50 for my 50 years. Well, do the math. What is 50 times 50? Y'all don't know? You're a math teacher. Oh, I thought you were a math teacher. It's 50 times 50, isn't that $2,500? Yeah. So it's $2,500. And so what he was going to do is take that $2,500 and he was going to put it back into Livingston. It was going to be money just to minister to the people of Livingston. There's a lot of great needs there. And so anyway, through all of this, he's been keeping me updated as long as with other people. And he's been letting me know what God's doing. Well, the last I got from him 
Uh, let's see here. Let me find this total here because I want to get it right. just want to show you how big God is, and he's given him all the glory. He puts videos on Facebook, and I watch those as well. Uh, well, hold on. Nothing ever goes the way you want it to. Amen? That's why when you think you got it right where you want it, and all of a sudden you go, where did it go? Well, I lost it. I want to give you an amount, but I'm scared. Oh, here we go. There it is. Okay. All right. 50 for 50. If he could get 50 people to give $50 to him. Now, he didn't limit it to 50. He sent out the message to a bunch of people just hoping he could get 50. Well, as the last I had heard on July the 29th, he had raised $37,000. And he says at this point, it looks like they were going to go over $50,000. And so, but this money, there's a lot of needs in that, and, and he's just blown away. I mean, he's just, but God has showed out and showed just how big he is. When you have faith and you trust him, God will show out. But one of the things I want you to be praying with him about is this, that there is a, a, a food pantry in the, it's a community food pantry, and it's a, it's a pretty big deal in Livingston. It's a big, it's a, uh, I know some are a pretty big deal. I know what you're smiling at. I say that a lot. But uh, it, it's a big food pantry, but the guy who runs it is Michael. And I'll just tell you, Michael, he's lost, okay? It's not a Christian organization. It's just an organization to help families. But he's in need of a refrigeration truck that he could haul food back into, uh, pick it up, deliver it, things of that nature. So, but he's been witnessing, Daryl's been witnessing to Michael for quite some time now. Michael is a, uh, a professed agnostic. He, he does not believe in God at all. And so Daryl's been trying to show him that God is real and that he exists and that he loves him and that he died for him just like he did for everybody else. But it's up to him to accept it. So, so he sent me a message yesterday asking that if we would please be in prayer about this. He said, we found a used refrigerator, a refrigerated truck uh, and we found some, he said, they're between $15,000 and $35,000. He's not trying to use all the money he's got on that, but he wants to be able to find one. He said, simply because, he said, I know Michael needs it. He said, and I'm praying that God will guide us to a truck because if, I could, if we could somehow help him acquire that truck, then I can give God all the glory. He said, and I can show him what God did for him. In other words, so, he, so here's what I want you to be praying about. I want you to be praying that God would help Daryl and Veronica at Expedition Church to be able to find the refrigerated truck that they need to give to this food pantry. Well, see, they serve at this food pantry as well. They help minister there so that they can help minister to the families in Livingston as well as Michael. But one of the things that they also want us to be praying about is pray that God will show up in such a way that Michael will realize that God is real and that he loves him. And, and understand, I, I don't bash Montana when I say this, but the lostness in Montana is uh, it's staggering. I mean, it really is. And it's not just Montana. It's the West. There's a lostness. And just because I don't live there anymore doesn't mean my heart's still not there, okay? My heart is for those people, and I want to see them come to know the Lord. So if you would be praying with me about that so that, uh, that Michael and he could come to know the Lord. And, well, hey, listen, he's running a food pantry. How much better could his food pantry be if he knew Jesus? Couldn't it be so much better? Man. So be praying with me about that. Just write his name down. Write Michael. Write refrigeration truck out beside it. And you can write Daryl and Veronica down. And uh, just be praying for them. Matter of fact, be praying for their son. Uh, their youngest son, Just he's enlisted in the Army, and he'll be going to Fort Benning for boot camp here in just a couple of weeks. 
Or is he leaves today? Okay. His name's Tucker. So pray for Tucker. Uh, he needs your prayers for the next eight weeks. I think it's eight weeks. Ain't that how long it is? About eight weeks? Something like that. Somewhere thereabouts. Just pray for him. How's that? <laughs> he needs your prayers. So here's, here we go. Sermon title today is Who's Your Daddy? Who's Your Daddy? You ever heard that saying before? Who's Your Daddy? You know, young boys get to wrestling with each other. You know, and, and Jamie and Silas, they may have done this before, get to wrestling with each other. And when one dominates the other one, they'll say something like, who's your daddy? You know, kind of like, a, you know, I dominated you, who's your daddy? Me and Austin, we used to do that. And, of course, I was his daddy. But still, when I would, uh, you know, when I'd beat him down in the floor wrestling and show him that he wasn't as big as he thought he was, you know, I'd say, who's your daddy? You know, and just kind of reminded him that I'm, I'm still in charge here. But from a spiritual point of view this morning, we could ask that same question, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Because, see, Jesus points out in this passage that we're about to read, there's only two options, okay? Either God is your spiritual father, and if you're not a born-again Christian, then who does that leave your father to be? Satan, the devil. And you say, well, he ain't my father. If you're not following God and you're not a believer in God, then you're a follower of, of the world and its ways. And the father of the world is the devil. Jesus calls... He, you say, well, Brother Vance, that's wrong. Well, then you just called Jesus wrong because we're going to read his words here in just a moment because that's what he tells the religious crowd there because they're going, Abraham was our father. He got look, look, if, if, you were, if you were following Abraham, you'd have done what Abraham done, which was follow God. You don't follow God. You're following, you're following the devil. He's your father. So let's read this. Go with me to John chapter 8, verse 30. We're going to read here uh, a few verses. It says, The truth uh, says, And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you do not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are not of your father. He says, you are the father. i get that right in a minute. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Let us pray this morning. 
Lord Jesus, we bow before you today, God, so thankful for your word, God, and, and Lord, what it has spoken into my life this week. And Lord, we're uh, just praying this morning, Lord, that you'll bless the reading of your word. And God, I pray that it would convict us, Lord, it would guide us and line us up with you. And God, I pray that we would take a good look within ourselves this morning and ask the question, who is our father? Who is our daddy this morning, spiritually speaking? Who are we serving? Who are we following? Because, God, if we're not following you and we're not serving you and we don't have a relationship with you, God, that only leaves one option. And that's exactly what you pointed out to the religious crowd here. Lord, may we understand that today. God, may we do a deep look within ourselves, allow you to show us what you see. God, I just want to pray that you'll bless the, the remaining of our time this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you got to understand... As you're looking in John chapter 8, we start off with the religious crowd there, the scribes and the Pharisees. They're mentioned there in, in John chapter 8, verse 3. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought to him a woman called in adultery, and they set her in, in, his, in the midst. And verse 6 tells us that they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. And so we see this is kind of what started us off in chapter 8. We go on down into verse 13 through 20. We, we see that Jesus defends his self-witness there. We see in verse 21 through 30, basically, Jesus predicts his departure. But he's kind of still talking to the same crowd here. These Jews and these religious leaders, they're there. And they're constantly, if you read through the Gospels, they were constantly questioning him. Constantly trying to find something to catch him in, a lie or, or something he did wrong or something that they could find that he may be contradicting the law. And so they were constantly trying to, to trip him up. And so we find ourselves here with them having this conversation. And we're about midway, over halfway through this chapter. And we see Jesus in this religious group here, the Jews. Uh, they're having this conversation. And others are standing around listening. But I want you to notice what verse 30 says here. And we got four points this morning, and I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm not sure if we'll get through this whole sermon or not. We may, we may not. If not, we'll continue next Sunday. But if God stops us, we'll stop. But if he says go to 2 o'clock, we'll go to 2 o'clock. How's that sound? So we're just going to go till he says stop. But verse 30 tells us, it says, as he spoke these words, it said many believed in him. Okay, but then he goes down into verse 31 as he's kind of getting into our, our sermon here, it said, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. Okay, now, that kind of caught my attention. I, I probably haven't preached this passage since 2014. That's the last time I've got notes that, that I preached this. It's been a while ago. And I preached it at Patterson Baptist, and, and that's quite a while ago. I think it was my, when I first went to church there uh, as, as a, being on staff. But I, I found myself back studying this this week, and it caught my attention back then, and I noticed it again this week. But if you notice, there's a little bit of a, uh, um, kind of a contradiction, a little bit, between the crowd there in verse 30 and verse 31. One says that there were many that believed in him in verse 30, and then verse 31 said, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. Now, there's a difference in believed him and believed in him. But notice what the rest of verse 31 says. If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. So, okay, so before I get into 30 and 31, first part of it, notice the last half of 31. Jesus is more or less saying there to the religious crowd, those who said they believed, there must be proof of faith. That's what he's saying. He said, okay, you, you say you believe me. 
Well, if you believe me, then you must abide in my word. If you are my disciples, this is what you're going to do. And, you know, read behind John Phillips in his commentary. Even he points that out. He says, there seemed to be a difference in the crowd there. He said, there seems to be a little bit of a, a differentiation there, maybe between verse 30 and 31 and that little group, that there was a group there standing there that believed in Jesus. He said, but there seemed to be another group there that seemed to believe him, but it doesn't seem that they believed in him. And you go, well, what does that what does that mean and what does that have to do with us this morning? Well, here's what it means. There's a lot of people today that believes in God. In other words, meaning that they believe He exists. Okay? They believe in a God. Listen, even Jesus says in the Gospels that even the devil believes in me, but he doesn't trust me and he doesn't follow me. He's my enemy. Okay? He was cast out of heaven because of his rebellion. It's not enough to know about God. See, there's a difference in that. You can know about God. You, you, can, you, you could have known about Him since you were, well, since you've been in this world. You could have been VBSs and, and Sunday school and church, and, and you know God exists. But there's a difference between knowing that God exists and having put your faith and trust in the God that exists. There's a difference in being a born-again believer of Jesus Christ and saying, yeah, I know about Jesus. There's a difference. And I think that's what's going on here. Because as Jesus makes this discussion as, through the rest of this chapter that we're reading, he's talking to that group, the religious group. Listen, the religious group that, were, that was charging him, but he's also talking to that group of Jews who believed God, but they didn't believe in God. There's a difference. And I, I'm afraid today that we get the water muddied right there just a little bit. Faith and our trust we put our faith, we cut out just a little bit there, didn't we? We put our faith and trust in things in the church instead of our faith and trust in the things in God. You, listen, there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ, okay? He's not, and you hear me say this all the time, but, um, but as Paul said, I think it was Paul that said it in Corinthians when he wrote his letter, I, I think it was 1 Corinthians. I'm not even going to try to give you the chapter because I'd probably be wrong. But in 1 Corinthians, he makes this statement in a verse, in the bottom half of the verse. He says, woe is to me that I, if I don't preach the gospel. And listen, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And y'all probably get tired of hearing me say this, but that's what I've been mandated to do by God, and that is to preach the gospel. And that is that there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. He's not a convenient way or a good way. He's the only way. And listen, so if you don't, you can put all your trust, if you want to, in a baptism. You can put all your trust in this building. You can put it in this, in this organization we may have going here, this church, if you want to call it that. I, I mean, and I use that term loosely because I think across the board, we've kind of messed up church a little bit. I really do. But here's the deal. If you put your faith and trust in anything other than Jesus Christ, you are lost. And you are on your way to hell. Only thing that can save you is the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that to make you doubt your salvation. I say that so that you will know. Matter of fact, I'll share this in a hurry, and I wouldn't plan on sharing this. That's why I say I don't know if we'll get through it today or not. But God has just been filling my mind with stuff this morning that I hadn't even thought about this week. But I remember a long time ago in my ministry having a conversation with a woman that I thought a lot of and, but she came to me with concern. Still think a lot of her. Uh, she doesn't live here anymore. She lives off somewhere else. But she came and she sat down in my office and she had a concern. She said, Brother Vance, you talk all the time in your sermons 
about this relationship with Jesus Christ and, and, and that time when you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ and, and you just go on and on and on about that. She goes, I have questions. I said, okay, what's your question? She says, what if I can't remember those things? I said, well, I don't think you'll remember the exact time and that you, maybe on the clock or maybe you don't even know the date. Maybe, maybe, you don't, maybe the dates escaped you. That's okay. I said, but there should be a time that you can recall and you should be able to give me a testimony of when you met Jesus. I said, because you can't meet the Savior of the world and forget that. You can't. It's not, it's not possible. I said, so there's got to be something that you could tell me. I said, so we'll just cut to the chase. Share me your, shared your testimony with me. And she started off with when she got baptized. And I listened to her whole testimony, and I said, that's, that's awesome. I said, I, you know, so we talked about her baptism for a few minutes. I said, but tell me when you got saved. And she looked at me, and she started through her baptism again. And I wasn't critical of her, because see, here's the deal. I couldn't be critical of her. I wanted her to see what I was trying to get her to see. I wasn't trying to convince her of anything. I wanted God to convince her. And she went through her testimony again of her, of her baptism and her church membership. And we got there to again, and again I said, you told me that story a while ago. I said, and I'm all right with that. I said, but tell me. I want to know where you were. I want to know what was going on. I want your, your account of your experience of when you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And she looked at me. She goes, I don't know what you want me to tell you. And she wasn't, I mean, but I, but I could see God was doing a work. And I said, and I, so I gave her my testimony. I said, you know, I was 12 years old. I was at a revival service, Offerman Baptist Church. My uncle T.J. Barner was pastoring or preaching that night. The pastor was Julian Walker. And I went through the whole story of the invitation being given. God convicted my heart. I realized that I needed to be saved. I realized that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I mean, I went through a whole spiel with her. I said, and I remember going forward and asking that pastor to pray with me because I wanted to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I said, two weeks later, I got baptized, just like you're talking about, in the Satilla River between Patterson and Scriven. I said, that, but my conversion story is that night at that revival service. I said, I can't tell you the exact date. All I remember was it was in the fall. I wanted to go to a football game that night, and my dad wouldn't let me. It was on a Friday night. He told me I needed to be in church. I said, so I was there. I said, thank the Lord he made me go. I got saved. I said, so that's what I want. I said, you give me that. Give me, give me your, your version. I said, it ain't got to be like mine, but just give me your version. And she says, I, I don't have a story to give you. And I just looked at her. And tears started pouring off her face. And she goes, I'm not saved. I said, I can't tell you whether you are or you're not. I can't. I said, but if baptism's all you got, you may not be. And, and she just dropped her head. And she goes, that's why I don't understand. She said, because I've never experienced what you've experienced. She goes, how do I have what you have? Man, it was awesome. I got my Bible out. I started sharing scripture with her brother. And I said, well, first off, you've got to understand you're a sinner. And I shared that with her. And I shared what Jesus did on the cross. And I went through this whole spiel. And, and what was, it was, it was the, probably the best awesome, uh, that don't even make sense, best awesome. But it was good, okay? I've never led anybody to the Lord quite like this. It was the best I've ever experienced. 
But she looked at me, because normally I talk to people and go, you want to be saved? Maybe later. Well, okay, you know, I planted a seed. But, but she looked at me, she goes, it was almost like Philip in the Ethiopian. She looked at me, she goes, can I get saved tonight? <laughs> well, yeah, I reckon, you know. And so I remember, I said, let's, let's, I said, let's bow our heads. I said, and you ask Jesus Christ into your heart the best you know how. I said, you just need to ask him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart life and save you. And you know what? We went through that that night. She got through. She got up. She hugged me. We did baptism again a couple of weeks later for her. You know, I told her, I said, now you're getting your baptism on the right side of the salvation. I said, before you got wet, this time you're going to be obedient to God because your, your, your baptism is just, listen, again, it's the representation of burying the old person bringing forth the new person, just as Christ was, uh, was uh, dead, buried, and resurrected. You're, you're associating with him. But you're saying this old, when I got baptized, old Vance has been buried. I'm resurrected a new Vance. I'm a new creation in Christ. I no longer am about the old me. Now I'm about Jesus. And I said, and this is what this is going to do for you. You're just, you're associating yourself with Jesus. You're being obedient to him. And I remember the day I baptized her after church on Sunday morning. She came up and she was grinning from ear to ear. And uh, she says, man, that was way better than the first time. I said, I should hope so, you know. But so, so here's the deal. If we're not careful, we put our faith and trust in all the wrong things. Our faith and trust has got to be in Jesus. And so we look here. This is what's going on. He's speaking to that crowd that believed on Jesus, but they didn't necessarily believe in him. As John Phillips, I, I, I mentioned him a while ago, but he made this statement. He said, the words believed on him can be rendered or rendered believed him, indicating a type of belief inferior to that mentioned in the preceding verse. They believed on him, but they didn't believe in him. Now, notice what else is going on here. Again, and, and this is for us today, if we profess to be Christians, this is for us. He says here, if you abide in my word, in verse 31, you are my disciples indeed. Listen, Jesus was telling the Jews there that if they were truly saved, that they would be proof. Church, if we're saved this morning, they should be proof. There should be proof. You know, we always hear that old saying, the proof is in the pudding. Well, that's kind of, you know, it ain't about pudding. But if, there, if, you're, if you're a Christian, there's proof in you. It should be evident in your works. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. I got some trees growing in my yard. Um, I used to have a pecan tree where I used to live, and I don't live there anymore. But when I had a pecan tree, I expected pecans. I got some oak trees. They put on acorns or acorns, however you choose to say it. I say acorns. But um, if you got a, a fruit tree in your yard, you're expecting it to put on that kind of fruit because that's the tree you planted. You want oranges or you want lemons or limes or whatever it is that you got going, maybe pears. Listen, if you're a Christian and you are in Christ, then you should be putting on Christian fruit. If you aren't bearing Christian fruit, then you may not be what you think you are. You need to do a good checkup. There should be proof if you are a Christian. Now notice what he says here. Jesus tells them in verse 32, he says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now Jesus is speaking kind of in a spiritual sense here. Well, definitely in a spiritual sense, not kind of. But he says here, 
All right, here in verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendant and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus is speaking in a spiritual sense saying, The truth will set you free. Just as when we discovered the truth in Jesus Christ and he saved me, I was delivered from my sins and my bondage to that sin. But here's what's funny. As he's speaking here to these Jews, they have the audacity to say, We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Are you kidding me? Not only were they delusional, but they were liars. Because, listen, they had been in bondage their entire existence. Just about it. They have generations of bondage. Listen, God led them out of Egypt in bondage to the Egyptians. We see the whole book of Judges is full of God delivering them into bondage because of their disobedience. The judges would be raised up to deliver them out of bondage. And at the moment, they were under the rule of Rome. See, you get what I'm going with this? They're like, freedom, what are you talking about? We're not enslaved to anybody. Yeah, you're enslaved now. But what he's also trying to get them to understand is you're enslaved to sin too. They were enslaved to, to sin, but they were suffering from self-deception. And you say, well, Brother Vance, what does that have to do with us in 2020 in Waynesville? Well, it has everything to do with us. Because just as he was trying to point out to them that spiritually speaking, the truth would set them free, they went into a, 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 a more logical way of thinking about it and saying, we're not in bondage, which they were. But if, but if we're not careful, we'll be just as self-deceiving as they were because sometimes we have a tendency, if we're not careful, as people to sit in church and go, I'm not a sinner. I'm okay. I, I'm okay with God. God likes me. God's a loving God. He's not going to condemn me to hell. I mean, we'll, we'll deceive ourselves with these things and we'll, we'll convince ourselves that we're okay sitting right where we are. Have you ever done that? You might be doing it right now. I've done that in my life. I've been, listen, in, in, in my 50 years of living, and I got saved when I was 12, so I haven't been saved, but what, that's 38 years, is that right? I get nervous doing math in front of people, okay? So, because I'm scared, did I do that right? You know, I can't take my shoes off and count on my toes, so I may have gotten wrong, I don't know. But in all, in the last 38 years of being a Christian, listen, I have been where I needed to be at, and I've had times where I wasn't where I needed to be at. And in those times that I wasn't where I was supposed to be at, I would deceive myself into thinking that I'm okay. I'm okay. God's okay where I'm at. I'm not really doing all... I mean, this ain't really wrong what I'm doing. I mean, it's a little bit wrong, but I'm not really hurting anybody. This is just affecting me. It's not affecting anybody else. That's the lies we tell ourselves. And matter of fact, we'll even deceive ourselves into thinking this sometimes. Uh, and, the, and the enemy will feed our minds with these thoughts. Well, if God was really not okay with what I was doing, wouldn't he have put a stop to it already? And he hasn't. So it must be okay. You ever deceive yourself with those thoughts? Hey, if you've got a human brain in your head, you have. At some point, you may not want to acknowledge it. But here's where we mess up. Is we mess up when we think that way. And really what's going on where it seems like, well, God must be okay with where I'm at in my life because he hasn't put a stop to it. But really, here's what's going on. God is, is demonstrating to you and to me his grace and mercy by giving us enough time through the convicting of the Holy Spirit to get ourselves back where we need to be at. Because if you don't do it after a little bit of convicting, then God will do it. And when he does it his way, you're not going to like it. It's going to cost you something. So I, don't be deceived this morning into thinking that God's okay possibly with the sinful life that you're living, especially if you profess to be a Christian. He's not okay with that. 
And at some point, he'll say, enough. Because, see, here's what you've got to understand about God. Is if you're a Christian this morning, you're a child of His. And if He allows a child of His just to live however He wants to live, you're being a bad example to a lost world. And, and if He lets you stay that way, then it makes it look like He's not a loving and a holy God. So He has to discipline His children in order to show a lost world the kind of God that He is. And when He disciplines us, listen, it's not because He doesn't like us. It's because He wants the best for us. And His discipline is guiding us back to where we need to be at, to where we can be used by Him, where we can be blessed by Him. My dad has never, ever whipped me. Well, I'm 50. He hasn't whipped me in a long time. I probably deserve one. But growing up in his house, he never whipped me. First off, that I didn't deserve it. And two, but he never did it out of anger, and he never did it out of hatred. It's because he wanted me to be the best young man that I could possibly be. I never disciplined my children because I didn't like them. I wanted them to be the best they could possibly be. I wanted them to know that that which you did will harm you in the long run. You need to get back over here. And that's the way God disciplines us. So if we're not being disciplined by God today, then maybe we're not His children. But if He's giving you, if you are a child of God, then maybe He's just giving you enough time to get back to where you need to be at. Point number one. Okay, we'll just get to the point. That was the introduction. Point number one, I want you to notice the claim of the Jews here. Point number one is their claim. Notice what happens here. We're in verse, we just read verse 33. Notice what verse 34 says, and we're going to read down to verse 39. That's where point number one comes from. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus tells him, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. See, they weren't followers of God. They were seeking to kill Jesus. Verse 38 says, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Notice in your Bible, if yours is like mine, there's a capital F on the first father, and there's a little f on the second father. He's speaking of two different fathers there. And he'll tell them in just a moment in verse 44. We'll go down and read that in just a moment uh, to kind of give you some more clarity. But in verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So the question is we asked this morning, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the work of Abraham. Well, what was the works of Abraham? Well, if you were to back up with me in Genesis chapter 12... Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 4 shows us the works of Abraham just in a glimpse. This is where God makes his promise to Abraham. But it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So uh, what was the works of Abram, Abraham there? 
First off, you've got to understand, Abraham was born and raised a pagan worshiper. That's the, that's the background he came from. But when the word of God came to him, Abraham changed. Abraham became a follower of God. He not only became a follower of God, but we read there in chapter 12 where I was just at, that when God spoke to him and told him, Abraham, get up out of your land. Listen, this is where the promise was starting. It was starting with Abraham. He was the, uh, remember God told him, to, and he didn't even have a son at this point, but God told him to walk out, look at the sky. He said, if you can count the stars, then you can count your descendants. If you can count the sand on the seashore, well, then you'll be able to count your descendants because your descendants are going to be just this numerous. And Abraham many times said, God, I don't understand. I don't even have a son. But God promised him that he would have a son. But the thing is that when God came to Abraham there in chapter 12 and told him to get up and go to wherever he told him to go, Abraham obeyed. And so this is what God was pointing out. He's like, Jesus pointed out, he says, you guys say your father's Abraham, but if you were the father of Abraham, if you were really the sons of Abraham, then you would follow and you would act the way Abraham acted. Abraham was obedient to God. You're not obedient to God. And that's what he was trying to point out to him. So this morning as we look at that, we can think about this here. And that is this, bottom line, bottom line what Jesus is saying here to the religious crowd and to the Jews standing around listening, I believe the same thing that could be said to us this morning. Abraham demonstrated a drastic change in his life that when he became a believer in God, things changed. He left everything that he knew growing up to follow God. He put everything behind him. He said, the old things are gone. I am now not walking in a new way of life. I follow God. So what does that mean for you and I this morning? What it means is there ought to be a drastic change in our lives this morning if we profess to be followers of Jesus. Listen, you can't be a follower of Jesus Christ and still look the same way you did before you were a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not possible. If you still look the same, I got news for you. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're being deceived. You've been duped by the devil, as they say. You're not a believer in Jesus. You can't be. Listen, here's the thing. I believe as a Christian we can get out of God's will sometimes. I believe we can get out of step. I believe we'll get, we can get out of line. But I also believe that because of the Holy Spirit of God and the chastisement of God upon our life, you can't stay there. You cannot. But if you're one of those Christians or profess to be Christians that says, I've been saved for 10 years and yet you haven't come to church but five times in 10 years and I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, so this would go to everybody that's watching it online. So if you are that person and you live like the devil five, six days out of the week, you come to church once in a blue moon and you say you're a follower of God, you're living a lie. It's not possible. Because listen, I can step out of line with God just a little bit. You say, Brother Vance, you're judging me. No, I'm speaking from experience. If I step out of line with God, I can't stay there very long for He whips me and gets me back in line. I can't stay that way. The chastisement of God will fall on the life of a believer. And we cannot stay there. But if you can continue to stay there, then you've put your faith and trust in the wrong thing. It's not in Jesus. And that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible teaches that from cover to cover. That if you're a believer in God and you're a believer in Jesus today, you will follow Him. And this is what Jesus was trying to tell the, the, the crew here that was listening, the crowd. Because He tells them again in verse 44. I read it to you a while ago. He says, your father's not Abraham. He says, your father's the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He says, you're wanting to do the things that glorifies the devil. The things that glorify your flesh. And He goes on to say... That the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth, 
because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now notice the second point, the blasphemy here. Notice what verse 41 says. We just read you verse 39. Let's read 40 leading into 41. Verse 40 says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Again, he's driving on the point. You say your, your father's Abraham. Abraham didn't do these things. So he can't be your father. Because you're doing something contrary to, who, to what Abraham did. But in verse 41, he says, You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. Now check this out. I think Jesus has, has kind of struck a nerve right here with him. He's, he's cut him to the quick here a little bit. Because when he's pointing out who their father is, they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now, it's speculated, and I kind of believe this too, it's speculated by a lot of commentaries that they were taking a shot at Jesus right here. And I believe that they were. Because, see, Jesus, if you go back and read the Christmas story in the beginning of the Gospels, remember, Jesus was born of a virgin birth. Joseph and Mary uh, were basically engaged to be married. To be engaged back in that time was to be married, except they didn't know each other yet, and, and the ceremony had not taken place yet. But when she comes up expecting, you know there was talk. There had to be. Listen, those people, there ain't no different than they are in Waynesville. People talk. And so, matter of fact, Joseph, when he finds out about it, he remember the Bible says that he was trying to figure out how to put her away privately? He, he could have made a big deal out of it, but he was trying to... And remember, the angel showed up to Joseph and said, This is of God. You need to marry her. Uh, she's not been unfaithful to you. And I'm paraphrasing, putting things in my own words here. But the, the, but the crowd in those times would have known about that. See, that wouldn't have been that many years ago, okay? That would have been about 30-something years earlier. So this same crowd there would have known who the mom and dad, earthly mom and dad of Jesus was. They would have known that... Mary was his mother, and they would have known who Joseph was. And so they would have known the whole little gossip thing going on behind that. So I believe they were taking a shot at him going, uh, we were not born of fornication. And so the blasphemy here is they were more or less bashing the virgin birth of Jesus. They were basically telling Jesus, you don't know who your father is. Because they believed it wasn't Joseph, and there was never anybody else. So, in other words, they missed everything. They were accusing him of being born in sin, more or less rejecting his deity. And you may say this morning, Brother Vance, we, we would never do that. We believe in the virgin birth, and I know you do, and I do too. But there are ways that we do reject Jesus, and that is this. We reject him sometimes as being Lord and Savior of our life. In other words, he deals with our heart about salvation. We don't get saved. But I think one of the main things we do as Christians is we reject the lordship of Jesus in our life. See, we, can, we say so many times, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Well, he is my Savior, but I'm going to admit to you, there are times in my life when he's not my Lord. You say, Brother Vance... What does that mean? Well, to be my Lord means he has to rule and reign over everything. And there are times when I pull certain things back from God and say, God, I, I got this. Let me, let me control this one. 
And God has to remind me, Vance, if I don't have everything, then I'm not your Lord. I can be your Savior, but you've got to let me have everything. It's got to all be mine. In other words, I've got to trust Jesus with not just my soul, but my finances, with my family, with my ministry. I mean, I could go right on down the list. My job, it's all got to be in His hands. And if I spend any time worrying and fretting, which I do, my granddaddy told me a long time ago that I could worry the horns off a billy goat. Now, I've never forgotten that, and he was right. I could because I worry. I'm a worrier. I'm always trying to figure out how to fix something that's not mine to fix. But in order for us to, to call him our Lord and Savior, he's got to have control over all things, even our children. i give you a fine example. I've probably shared this with you before, but it's worth sharing again. Years, which I still have the horse. Uh, her name is Sugar. She's over at my mom and dad's house. They have a place to keep her, and I don't really have anywhere to keep her where I'm at. So she's, she's as old as Megan. Uh, that's how I keep up with how old she is. And her and Meg were born just about two weeks apart. How old are you, Meg? That's a joke. You're 25, right? 23. So anyway, Meg's 23, so my horse is 23 years old. But Daddy had the mother of my, of my horse, and so when she was born, we, I raised her and uh, raised her up old enough to ride, and, and I saddled, got her broker and saddle broker and told her how to neck rein and all this kind of stuff. So um, me and hers had a lot of good times together. But years ago, uh, when, when I'd been riding her for a year or two, we had, uh, there's a Mr. Jack Tyre. Some of you may know him. He used to work at the railroad. But he lives out from Alfram, and he has a, a lot of horses. And matter of fact, the, the daddy of my horse, he owned. And so in the summertime, it's, it's hot to ride a horse. If you've ever ridden a horse in the summertime, it's like riding on 1,500 pounds of just steaming sweat, you know, and they're just putting off heat. You're hot, and it's just it's radiating all around you. And so on full moon nights, they would go horse riding at nighttime. Well, I'd never done that before. And so he got in touch with me and my dad and, and, and said, you guys want to go ride horses with us one night as the full moon's coming up? I think it was a Friday night. And I was like, yeah, that'd be fun. And so they lived about maybe three miles from where we lived. And so it got dark. Dad and I saddled up. We rode over to their house, met up with about 10 other people possibly. And I remember we, we left out from Brother Jack's house and went through the woods and we're riding down to the Satilla River over in that area through some hunting clubs and all. But the, the full moon hadn't got up yet high enough to really illuminate the woods. And, and I, I really was struggling to see. It was dark, and we was kind of following each other, but then we got to a point where we got in some really thick woods that we were trying to figure out how to get to. And again, once the moon got up, it got bright, but it hadn't got there yet. And man, I couldn't see nothing. I'm riding this horse in the dark, and all of a sudden limbs are popping me in the head and about to knock me off, you know. And, and she's pretty tall, so she had me sitting up high, and you know, things catching me on the head and the ear. And I thought, praise the Lord, I, you know, I want to get out of this patch of woods. But, but it wasn't the horse's fault. She was doing everything I was telling her to. I was trying to guide her through a patch of woods that I couldn't see. And I was just trying, and everybody was scattered everywhere, and we was trying to get out to the opening where the sun, where it was a little more bright. And it finally got to the point where it hit me. Horses have very good night vision. Vance has no night vision. So I'm trying to guide an animal about a 12 to 1,500 pound animal through a patch of woods and I can't see anything. So I thought, why don't I trust my horse? So I remember 
But you also have to make, be mindful. Horses will walk through stuff given just enough room for themselves. So you have to think about that, you know. So what I done was I took the reins and I slid them up on her head behind her ears enough that she could realize that I wasn't pulling back anymore. I laid my head over on her neck as tight as I could and I pulled my legs out of the stirrups and I pulled them back up on her hindquarters and I laid down on her and I just put my head down and I, I said, come on girl, let's go. And I let her walk through those woods. And you know what? We came right out of there. And I remember a guy that I'm friends with to this day, he saw what I did. We got out, he says, you are very trusting of that horse. I said, I am. I said, I trust her. I said, you don't know this, and I still believe this to this day. I said, when that horse was born, I prayed over her. God, I always wanted a horse. You blessed me with one, and I want you to help me train her. But I did. She has thrown people before. She's never thrown me. I've never fell off that horse not once. But I just pulled in, and I said, come on, girl, let's go, me and you. And I let her walk me through those woods, and she walked right through. You know why? Because she could see. She knew where she was going. Matter of fact, she was probably thinking, I wish Vance would quit steering me because he's, he's getting us in trouble. But you know what? I just leaned in, and she just walked right on through the woods, got me right out in the open, and then stopped. I put my foot back in the stirrup, my feet back in the stirrups, and sit up straight, pulled the reins back, me and her went on. And I said all that to say this. We need to do the same thing with God. We need to take our hands off the reins, quit trying to guide God where we think God needs to go. God's the one who can see all things. He's the one who needs to be trusted. We need to just slide the reins up and say, God, I'm taking them out of my hands completely. It's you. It's all you, Lord. I'm going to follow you. Instead of me trying to guide you through my life, I want you to lead me through my life. I want everything that I do, God, to bring you honor and glory. That's what we need to do. We don't need to, and listen, if we're not doing that this morning, then God's not our Lord. But I would be willing to tell you that there is not a person in this room with me at the top of the list that doesn't struggle with that. Every one of us does. Just when things get running good, we pull it back. Okay, God, you got us out of the woods. Now let's go. And we go right back into a patch of woods again. And God's like, I had you in the clear if you just follow me. Third thing I want you to notice, and, and we're almost done. The third thing is I want you to notice their lack of love for God. We just read to you there in point number two, the verse we left off with was verse 41. Verse 42 says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, listen, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. This morning, if God's our Father, then we would love Jesus. He would be our Savior. We would love Him, and we'd love to spend time with Him. But if we don't have a relationship with Him, then God's not our Father. If you're not a born-again Christian this morning, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He's not your Father. But if you do have a relationship with Him, then you need to love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Not just when it's convenient. Not just when it's popular. Not when you're, when you're in the right crowd. You need to love God all the time, even if it costs you something. God should be the love of your life. I love my wife and my children. I do. But sometimes I have to be careful because I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes I want to put them in a place that's probably not where they need to be at. Sometimes my love for them sometimes will take the place of my love for God because I love my wife dearly. 
I will upset you and hurt your feelings in about two seconds over my wife and my children. And I will have you going home crying, okay? Because I love them dearly. But I cannot put them ahead of God. God still has to be first. He has to be number one. Because you say, well, that's hard for me to do. It's hard for all of us to do. But what you have to realize is God is the one who needs to be first because God's the one that blessed me with that wife. God's the one that blessed me with my three children and a daughter-in-law. So basically, I've got four daughter, or three daughters now, not just two. Because when you marry into the Collie family, you're there forever. Okay? There's no escaping. Like it or not, you're there. And so Olivia is my daughter-in-law, and she is, she is in our... And I told her, I said, you are my daughter. I see you way more than just a daughter-in-law. Matter of fact, John tells us, if I got this verse right, my memory is serving me correctly. John 14, verse 23 says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And the last thing I want you to note is this, and I am done. We did get through the whole thing. I want you to notice their birthmark. Again, I'm not going to read you verse 44 again because I've read it to you twice. But if you were looking at verse 44, Jesus was describing that you were acting like your father, the devil. And this is who he was. He was a murderer and a liar. But then he says in verse 45, But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. He's saying, believing you don't believe me is because you're acting like the devil. That's your father. That's who you're acting like. This morning... I belong to Edward and Carol Cawley. I don't know if any of you know them or not, but that's my mom and dad. Um, pray for them. They are on their way back from Missouri today. They had to go out to a, a funeral. My Aunt Gloria passed away this week as my, uh, my Uncle Sammy's wife. He is my mom's next to oldest brother. So they were out there, and they're making their funerals yesterday, and they're making their way back today and tomorrow. But if you know my mom and dad, then you know I belong to them. And the reason you know that because I act like them. I have the characteristics of my mom and dad. I favor my dad in some regards. I favor my mom in some regards. Uh, I, I say things like they would say. I respond to things in ways that they would respond. I got their temper. Uh, I should say if mom and dad's watching this morning, I got my dad's temper because my mom would say she doesn't have one. I'll pray for you, Mom. But anyway, I love you. No, I'm kidding. Because she will watch this today. So I'll probably hear about that. But, uh, but I inherited those things because that's my parents. And so today, if, if God is my Father and Jesus is my Savior, should I not have the characteristics of God? Should I not have some characteristics that are similar to Jesus', Jesus characteristics? Now, it doesn't mean that I'm perfect like He is. It just means I'm striving to be as much like Jesus as I can possibly be. That's my goal. And so that's the fruit of that spirit that we talked about. So this morning, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? I mean, that's a question only you can answer. If you're a born-again Christian, then God's your father. But if you're not a born-again Christian this morning, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, not a believer of Jesus Christ, but a believer in Christ. Paul writes about that in, in many of his letters, that as a Christian, we are in Christ. We are secure, and we're... Uh, in Him, under His blood, because why you put your faith and trust in Him. But if you're not in Christ today, then you're not a believer. Okay? And God's not your Father. 
But I got good news for you. You don't have to go home that way. If God has convicted you of your sins this morning and you realize that God is not your father, he can be. This morning, I believe in all my heart that if you're here and you don't know Jesus, he wants to save you. But you've got to take that step of faith. You've got to say, God, I put my faith and trust in you. Please forgive me of my sins and to save me. If you do that this morning, he'll save you. Then we'll talk about believer's baptism. Then we'll let the church know the decision you made. But it's got to start with the decision that you make to put your faith in him. But if you are a Christian this morning, are you living like it? Listen, don't be deceived into thinking you can live like the world and be a believer of Jesus. Please don't do that. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your, your grace and your mercy, God. We thank you for your convicting spirit, Lord, of when we get out of, out of will, out of your will and out of line, God, that you chastise us and bring us back. But God, if there's anybody here today, Lord, who professes to be a Christian, but God, they're living contrary to your will, Lord. I pray that they'd be sure that they're a Christian. I, believe, I pray that they'd be sure that they are a, a child of yours. And God, if they are, I pray that they would get their life in step with you before you have to. God, we pray for that person today that may not be a believer. I pray your convicting spirit would fall upon their life this morning. And God, they wouldn't go home like that. I pray they would go home as a believer. They would surrender their heart and lives to you. God, I just pray this invitation be used this morning, God, to bring you the honor and glory that you deserve. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.